right, all right, all right. Thank you so much for downloading today's episode of Carl Buys Houses. My name's Carl Krenzel, your host here today, here to help you with your real estate questions. Thank you so much for taking the time out of your day to go ahead and download today's episode. Today, what I'd like to talk with you about is rent and eviction moratoriums. Now, currently, depending on where you're at, you might be experiencing certain amount of rent moratoriums, uh, I'm sorry, uh, eviction moratoriums, uh, things of that nature. Things that are designed to prevent people from being evicted during this COVID-19 crisis. Additionally, it is uh, really a situation where you can't foreclose on anybody either. Uh, and many of these protections were ending or were coming close to ending across the United States in certain areas. Uh, but because of this resurgence of coronavirus, we now find ourselves in a position where states are extending these rental or eviction moratoriums, making it to where landlords can't evict property, uh, people who aren't paying their rentals. Now, this is a, obviously, this is a huge problem. And this is a huge problem for everybody. Now, I certainly want to come out and, and be very, very clear about how, how devastating this has been for everybody. I recognize that there are a lot of people out there who've lost jobs. They have not received any unemployment. Uh, any unemployment they might have received was taken back because the Arizona state government found fraud and they canceled a lot of bank accounts. You know, there's been a lot of mismanagement and waste. And yet, despite the fact that there's been all this mismanagement, all this waste, thousands upon thousands of dollars lost, hundreds of millions of dollars wasted, there are more people who are clamoring now more than ever for a rent moratorium or rent-free sort of thing or eviction uh, moratoriums to be extended another six months or however long it takes. However, the problem with that sort of thinking is that it's short term. It's short term because although your eviction may be forestalled, your rent might be uh, forbeared, your, your, your loan might be forborn on your home, at some point, you're still responsible for the money. And yes, I get the fact that you lost your good job. And yeah, I, I understand that you're not getting unemployment. And I get it that the situation's screwed. But nonetheless, people stay, they still have contracts. You still have an agreement. And, and, and believe it or not, it still makes sense for people to honor their agreements. And, and you can't have a situation where people can just go ahead and willy-nilly cancel their contracts, not pay on their loans, not pay their debt obligations, and then uh, have the federal government and the state government protect them from the uh, implications of breaking a contract. Now, I know that I'm probably not the only one who's thinking this. And as I said before, I recognize that this is a, a dicey issue at best on, on many fronts. You've got renters on the one hand who don't want to be homeless. 
You've got landlords, on the other hand, who have loans that they have to pay. You've got servicers at the top of the whole, the, the whole heap who have, to, who have to go ahead and make the payments to the, 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 the loan holders, the bond holders who own those notes. And when you stop an economy, cause people to lose their jobs, cause people to work on their uh, credit cards, to live off their savings, to deplete them after months and months, and then to allow the, 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 the country to be closed down yet again, it's a recipe for disaster. So the question comes up, well, what, what do you propose, Carl? Instead of just coming out there and complaining all the time, why don't you come out here and give us some, some suggestions? What do you think they should do? What should Governor Ducey do? What should Mayor Romero do? What should they do to avert this crisis that is facing Arizonans, that is facing Tucsonans, and that, quite frankly, is going to face one in five Americans in the next four to five months? What advice would I give? Rip the Band-Aid off. Rip the Band-Aid off. That's the only way that we can do this. We cannot keep kicking the can down the road and expecting that that can is not going to get larger and heavier and harder to kick each time you do it. We have to rip the Band-Aid off. Yes, there are going to be an enormous amount of people facing eviction. Yes, there are going to be an enormous amount of people facing foreclosure. It's going to be horrifying. If you ripped off the Band-Aid, the thought of having parks filled with homeless people like Hooverville back in the Depression, you know, that, that's not really palatable to Americans today. Americans have grown accustomed to cheap and easy credit. And as a result, any kind of notion that there should be hardship or that there's going to be pain involved in, in, in any kind of recovery is foreign. It's foreign to this nation. Now, what do we do? Well, if, if we kick the can and we keep post postponing it until October, it makes the problem even worse. Because now, right now, if you rip the Band-Aid off, they would have four months worth of stuff that they'd have to catch up on, and it would be terrible, and it would be hard, but they could talk with their landlord. And they could work out some kind of repayment. They could work with that landlord, because most landlords, believe it or not, are willing to have a good tenant who's paying. If you're willing to talk to the tenant, if the landlord is willing to talk to the tenant, the tenant is willing to talk to the landlord, they can work out a mutually beneficial agreement that's going to help everybody. But as it is, you have government interference, which restricts the hand of the landowner, which, which restricts the, land, uh, the, the, the hands of the servicer, which restricts the hands of the tenants. It restricts them because you, you say, well, well, there's nothing preventing an individual tenant from going to an individual landlord and 
negotiating a deal right now, Carl. There's nothing preventing that. And you're absolutely right. But what kind of message does it send? When the governor of your state goes out and says that they can have no more evictions for the next, I don't know, until October 31st. What kind of message does that send? Does that mean that people are going to be responsible with the amount of money that they have or the debt obligations that they have? No, that doesn't mean that at all. What that means is that the government is stepping in to the contractual obligations between two people and deciding what the outcome will be. Now, if that's not, if that's not fascism, I don't know what is. You know, you cannot have all this government interference in the housing sector and have it not affect the rest of the economy. That's foolishness. Uh, let's just let's just have a, a thought exercise for a minute. Let's just kind of have a thought experiment as to how this could potentially result in the next few months. Okay, currently in my state, Arizona, Governor Ducey, in his infinite wisdom, has decided to go ahead and extend the rent moratorium, the eviction moratorium, until October 31st. Now, presumably, this is going to take the same effect with people who are not paying their mortgages. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. Yeah, I've got a, a dog in this fight. I'm a, I'm a foreclosure agent. This is what I do. And yeah, it kind of frustrates me a little bit that they're foreclosing. You know, if I foreclose on people and, and guess what? They, 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 uh, I represent banks that foreclose on people anyway. And, and guess what? Well, my job has been affected by the federal interference again. But here's how it's affecting you too. Not only is it affecting me, but it affects you. Here's how. If you're a homeowner here in Tucson, Arizona, or anywhere in Arizona, or in your state, wherever they have this idiocy going on, if you have a policy that allows tenants to not pay rent and not face the consequences of not paying rent and, and, and abandoning the contractual obligations that they've made with the homeowner, if you as a government allow that to happen for a prolonged period of time, here's what happens. First of all, the rent won't get paid. It, it just doesn't. I mean, let's look at the hard facts. I mean, in March, what, 30-something percent, 29% of homeowners didn't make their payment or they made partial payments. April, or I guess it was April, right? May, it was like 30-something percent. June, it was 32%. And these are homeowners who are not making their payments. This isn't tenants. These are homeowners. People with mortgages. They're not making their payments. Fully one-third of the people who own a mortgage in the United States of America right now are, are in either some form of forbearance or they're not making their payments or making full payments at all. Nearly 33, it's roughly 32%, but it's almost a third. Now, when you put that into context, that's an awful lot of homeowners. But what does that mean for rentals? 
This is a terrible time to be a landlord. When you think about what the federal government is screwing over the landlords, the homeowners, the mortgage bond owners, or the servicers, how the government is screwing them over and eventually screwing over the, the, the renter, it's, it, it, it's amazing to me that we don't have more people screaming and hollering at the Congress and the people about the Fed about the way that they're handling this. Think about it. When the home when the homeowners are not making their payments, you can almost be certain that the renters aren't. Yet, these payments are still due and payable at some point. Now, if you had an eviction process, okay, a lot of people would, you know what, it, it wouldn't work for them, okay? They may not have the full amount of money because they lost their job or whatever, they may not have the full amount of money for their rent, but they certainly have the ability to pick up the phone and call their landlord and say, you know what, I lost my job, I'm down on my luck, here's the problem, but I'm getting a job next week and this is what's going on, but, but, but whatever the problem is. And in a pandemic situation, I think everybody kind of understands what's going on. But you have to have some kind of communication. But if you don't have any kind of threat of eviction, ah, who cares? Who cares? You know, everybody recognizes that there's a pandemic going on. There's no need for me to pick up the phone and call my landlord and let them know that I'm running out of funds and I can't make the payments. And then what compounds the problem is because now that the property is not being made payments on, the person who's in there is starting to not make their payments. They're getting behind and behind further and further every month. And as this happens, there are other people out there who are perfectly good tenants who have the cash, have a job. They're well within their means to rent the property, but you cannot rent to them because you have a tenant in the property who's not paying rent and you can't evict because of a federal law, a guideline or a state guideline or law. Now, when you think about how this is going to affect the tenant, you say, well, Carl, wait a minute. That sounds like the greedy old landlord's just getting what they deserve. Oh, well, that's not really the way it works. Because most of these so-called greedy landlords, well, they're just, they're not like real estate investors or big corporations. Oh, yeah, you got your corporations that have apartment complexes and stuff. But most of these houses and stuff, that are, that's not mom and pop, you know, rentals. That's the old house they used to own and now they've, you know, they've moved to Boca Raton or something like that. And now this is a house that they're renting out. No, 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 no. Most people, they just, they rent their properties out as a supplemental income. And when you don't pay your rent, they don't have the income to pay their mortgage. Oh, sure, it's less than it was, and less, certainly less than what it would be if you tried to get a mortgage today. But nonetheless, it's a bill that needs to be paid. Here's a fun fact. Did you know that Chase set aside well over $10 million? I think it was 10. I read something like it was 10 million or 10 billion. I don't know which, but it was an enormous amount of money that Chase had set aside for losses that they anticipated in people not paying back their loans. If you're a bank and you make money off lending money, that's how you make money is by lending it out. And you, say, you save up a, a war chest of $10 billion for anticipated losses so that you don't have to go ahead and you know, lose out in the long run. 
Well, that tells you how seriously Chase thinks this is going to be. I mean, think this through. If you don't have an, a, an opportunity to evict a bad tenant and put in a good tenant who will pay, okay, well then, well, what does that do to the value of your property? I mean, as your property is based on the gross rent multiplier and the cap rate, the capitalization rate, because the value of your income property is based on that, if you cannot collect rents and your rents go down overall, well, then the value of your property likewise goes down. Now, look, I recognize that there's a lot of people on the radio and TV and all this that tell you otherwise. But let me tell you the real truth from a real estate broker who's been selling real estate for 24 years. That's the way it works. That's exactly the way it works. And it works that way here in Tucson, Arizona, in Boston, Massachusetts, and Tuscaloosa, Alabama, and every point in between. And if your rentals go down, the value of your property goes down. It's, it's inexorably linked. And here's one more fun fact. Those tenants, they're going to ask you for a price reduction in their rent. I mean, if they're a good tenant and they're communicating with you, hey, I lost my job, but they've got a long history with you and they're good people, they take good care of the property and they, you know, they don't tear it up and whatever, and you want to cut them a break, fine, that's great. I would. But understand that when you reduce the interest, I'm sorry, when you reduce the rental rate of the property that you're renting out, you're reducing its investment value to another investor. And if, if your property is, let's say, generating $10,000 worth of income every year after expenses, and now post-COVID-19, it's now generating $7,000 free and clear, well, you've lost 30, you know what, 30% of your value. As far as as far as you know the, the 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 income comes as far as the income is concerned, you've lost a lot of value there. Now, how does that translate to everybody else? Well, okay, well think this through. You may not be in that position now. Maybe you've got tenants who've got a good job and they're paying right now, but not everybody is. And there's a lot of folks out right now who are facing that scenario, and they're you know what, they're just wanting to sell the property. I can't tell you how many people have been coming to my, my website at carlbyshouses.com and been telling me about properties that they've owned for a year, two years, three years as rental properties. They have absolutely no equity in them. And they have a tenant in there who's trying to, who's trying to rent from them, but the tenant's not obligated to pay, and, and as a result, they're not paying. How much value does that have to me, do you suppose? I mean, at the right price, everything's for sale, but good Lord, you can't sell it at that price because you don't have any equity. So what happens to that guy? What happens to the other people? Well, they try to sell it on the open market. They can't. They go into a short sale situation and it reduces the value of the home. It reduces the value of the homes in the area. And if it doesn't successfully short sale, guess what? It will go to foreclosure. And, and, you know, you can say, well, gosh, Carl, there's a foreclosure moratorium, too, so we're protected. Hey, that doesn't stop people from doing deeds in lieu of foreclosure. 
And in case you're not familiar with what that is, a deed in lieu of foreclosure is simply this. It's, where it's like turning the keys back over to the dealership after you're done with the car. You're like, you know what, I can't pay for it anymore. And you just go back to the dealership, give them the car and give them the keys. That's all that is. But it still has the same effect as a foreclosure on your credit report. It does absolutely nothing except speed the process up. It doesn't help you in any way. And people many times, you know what, they're just like, you know what, I don't want to deal with it. I'm tired of the the, the, the loyal, the 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 attorney wrangling and all the other nonsense associated with it. So forget it. Here's the keys. Don't ever call me again. I'm done. And when the bank gets the property back, yeah, they're going to try and sell it for the most money they possibly can. And right now, you know, that's a pretty good time to do it. I've been telling people since February that you need to sell this unwanted property and you need to sell it right now. Because there's a time coming where you can't sell it for what you owe on it and for, or for anything you want for it. And I mean this. This is, this is a ticking time bomb, folks. Ticking time bomb. When you look at the amount of money that the federal government is spending in quantitative easing, when you see the way that Jerome Powell is keeping the interest rates artificially low. They've been at zero or near, near zero for nearly 10 years. Is it any wonder why home prices have jumped, have skyrocketed? Let me tell you folks, here's, here's, a, here's a secret that a lot of people don't really understand. Most of the real estate agents you deal with in your city, in your town, in your province, in your state, most of them have less than five years experience. They've never seen a market like this. They've never seen a situation where they have quantitative easing, automatically low interest rates, and crazy market prices. This market is frothy, son. Let me tell you, it's frothy. I read the papers. I mean, I open up the internet. I read stories. I, I see people paying $22,000 more than the asking price. I see people involved in multiple counteroffers with 75 people. I, I, I see the fact that home builders are not being able to build because of the coronavirus and prices, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And therefore, you see a lot of people going out and the, uh, the interest rates are they're headed towards 2%, <laughs> right? But there's not a, what week over week, the mortgage applications are dropping. There's more people refinancing than there are people selling and buying. Oh, yeah. Right now, you know, your agents around you, they're telling you, oh, I've had my best quarter, my best year, my best blah, 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 blah. That's all fine and good. But what are you going to do when the market changes? As I said, most real estate agents have not been in a real estate market like this before because they've only been in the game less than five years. The reason why I say this is because eight out of 10 real estate agents that go to real estate school fail out of the real estate business within the first 18 months. That's, just, that's statistically, I'm not making that up. That's just something that the NAR did a study on. Further, they found that after five years of the two agents that started, only one remain. So it's really hard to find an agent or a broker who's been in the real estate game for more than five years. If you find somebody who's been in the real estate game for more than 10 years, that's a gem. 
I mean, they usually make that guy the broker, the sales broker, the manager, right? And he's the guy that comes in and he's got the fancy corner office and everybody reports to him and he gives the sales pep meetings and, and he's, you know, in the suit and tie. He's that guy, right? Uh, but if you find somebody who's been in the game for more than 15, 20 years and they remember what it was like when the interest rates were 7% and higher and, and, and you find that agent who remembers what it was like when the, the economy crashed in 1996 and 2008, when you find that agent that's the one who can tell you how to sell your home because they know what it's like they can give you perspective on what's going to happen thirdly the other reason why this is going to affect you what happens when the overall property values go down what happens to the commercial properties that aren't being able to collect their rents as far as I know, there's no rent moratorium on commercial properties. I mean, I might be wrong, and I frequently am, but I mean, to my knowledge, you know, if you've got a storefront in a strip mall and some place is deciding that they're not going to pay you because they don't have the, the I don't know, the, the, the traffic, well, you can still lock that place up and foreclose or evict. What's going to happen when the commercial market goes like that? I mean, think this through. American Airlines is saying that they're going to cut 25,000 employees October 1st because they don't have the traffic to support that kind of industry right now. What's going to happen to the values of the homes where these people live? And that's just one industry. How's that going to affect the property taxes? Property taxes are paid by homeowners and, and they're indirectly paid by renters. Now you're a renter and you say, oh, who cares? The property tax, I'm a renter, I don't care. Guess what? The, the owner figures that into your rent, son. I mean, that's what happens. You pay that, to, that You pay that as part of your rent. And when the taxes go up, because they will, I mean, who do you think's paying for all this stuff? I mean, all these people mandating, we want to mandate masks, we want to mandate this, we want to mandate that. You don't mandate where the money comes from. And before you tell me, well, the money was spent on, on, on it was wasted on billionaires and it was spent on B1 bombers, two wrongs don't make a right. You shouldn't have gave them billions either. Nobody should get a bailout. This bailout is giving people money based on inflation, based on purchase prices that you're going to pay for in the future. The taxes that you have now are going to go up because they have to pay for all these city workers, all these county workers, all these people who have to get extra stuff, extra time off and whatever. All these people are going to have to be paid. And that gets paid by the taxes. And if you're not going out and spending money in your local stores because they've closed everything down, well, then there's no, you know, there's no sales taxes that they can use to, to spend to, to help offset that. that. That's just coming from property taxes. And so your property taxes go up. But your property's worth less. And your taxes go up. Why? Because they evict. They, 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 they do an eviction moratorium because they do a foreclosure moratorium, because they didn't want to rip off the Band-Aid. Look, guys, it's going to suck no matter what way you look at it, no matter what way you try to butter this bread, this is going to suck. 
It's just a question of how badly is it going to suck. And because they keep kicking this down the road until October and further on down the line, it's only going to get worse. You heard it here from me. Sell your property. If you don't need it, sell that property that's unwanted. Sell it right away while these people are crazy, while they're out there spending this ridiculous amount of uh, inflated amount of money on these overpriced homes. How many times do you ever pick up a podcast or an article and hear from a realtor telling you that these properties are overpriced and you shouldn't buy? Well, you heard one now. I'm telling you that. The only reason why you should be buying a home right now is if you get an extraordinary value. I mean, extraordinary value. Or you plan on dying in that house. Because that's the only way it really makes sense right now to buy your home. Remember, guys, as I close, remember, folks, it's not about wealth creation at this point. We are now in a wealth preservation standpoint. So guys, thank you so much. Take the time to go ahead and make your comments in the section down below. Hit me up at carlbuyshouses.com. And as always, have a powerful sales day. Bye-bye.